Well, if you didn't recognize that at the end, when Jerry and I previewed that earlier and uh, we're hearing church bells, I'm wondering how many people would even know that was church bells at the end, uh, since that's kind of an anachronistic thing. It doesn't happen too much around here. The paradox of our times, that's what the video was just uh, highlighting for us, is that uh, even though we have more of all kinds of things, resources, intelligence, understanding, uh, capabilities, advances, in many ways, uh, we're more crazy, more sick, more whacked out, more busted than ever before. And so in light of that, we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about how to live wisely in such a foolish time. And when I use the word foolish, I mean that in a biblical sense. I don't mean that in a condescending or in in an insulting kind of way. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And so what I'm saying is that in foolishness, that is to say, living like there is no God, we get into this quandary that we're in. And so how do we live wisely? How do we live under God and with God in a time that says, I'm not sure, so sure there is a God. So we're going to be doing that today, next week, and the following week. Uh, and today specifically zeroing in on gaining and gleaning wisdom from God by observing God's ways. Now, when we talk about observing the ways of someone, you do this all the time. You grew up doing this. You uh, grew up watching mom, watching dad, uh, and learning how to do various things uh, by their behavior. And uh, in fact, some of the things you said, I'll never do that. And you ended up doing it exactly like mom and dad did it or saying it exactly like mom and dad did it. Uh, it just happens when you are in the midst of someone's ways like that. And then you've also had coaches, you've had teachers, you've had mentors, you've had bosses, supervisors, etc. And you have learned from watching their ways. Uh, I grew up in an athletic family. Uh, Sports was a big deal in our family. And so uh, there were a lot of athletes that I paid attention to and coaches that I paid attention to through the years. And I've told uh, some of you about this before. There was a guy when I was growing up in the Memphis area by the name of Johnny Newman. And you're looking at a shot of him right there. Uh, He was all everything when I was growing up. He was all city, all region, all state, all American. As a high school kid, Sports Illustrated was writing stories about this guy. He ends up going to Ole Miss. And he just plays a a couple of years there. He only averaged 40 points a game while he was there. Uh, All-American, went pro, got one of the biggest contracts out of college. Uh, And you say, gosh, I'm not even sure I've ever heard of that guy other than you talk about him. Uh, That's because he flamed out in the pros. And that's another whole story. But my point in all that is this. I was so taken with Johnny Newman, I could tell you anything about him. In fact, there was a certain way that Newman walked. And, and I walked that way as well. You know, and I just thought it was the coolest athletic looking walk. And um, there was a certain way that he talked. There was a certain way he wore his hair. There's a certain way that he practiced and played the game. Uh, if you see some of my old photos, you'll see a shooting form that is almost identical to his shooting because I modeled it after him. I learned from his ways. We do this kind of stuff all the time. Sometimes we're aware that we're learning from the ways of others. Sometimes it's a little less obvious to us. And, and one day we just find out, oh, wow, I'm, 
I'm my father, I'm my mother, or something like that. We can and we must do the same thing with God. And because He is a revelatory God, He's a disclosing kind of God, He allows us to observe Him and to get to know Him uh, and to glean from His ways. So we're going to do a little reading today from Psalm 111. Let me encourage you to open your Bible and find that text with me. If you're newer around here, you might appreciate knowing that we are actually doing a through the Bible uh, effort where many of us have made a commitment back in the 1st of January that every week we're going to do certain readings so that by the end of December of this year, we will have read the whole through the whole Bible. And you'll see a little piece in the program about that that will tell you we're in week 21 starting today. If you'd like to join us in the journey, we'd love for you to join us. Uh, today's talk will preview some of the things that you will see in your readings in this coming week. Uh, all the details are on our website if you'd like to uh, get the reading plan. It's a chronological plan and join us in that effort. We're going to be introduced this week to a guy by the name of Solomon. And Solomon just happens to be known in the scriptures and in in a lot of places outside of the scriptures as the wisest man who ever lived. How did such wisdom befall Solomon? Well, he asked God for it. And God was so pleased with Solomon's request that he gave it to uh, Solomon in abundance. He lavished Solomon with wisdom. Uh, he's done that with others through the centuries and through the years. And as we will see in Psalm 111, uh, why and how he's pleased to do that. So uh, let's look at the text, read it together, and then we'll talk uh, about a couple of things out of it. Praise the Lord, the psalmist begins. The Hebrew word for that phrase is, we've been singing it today, hallelujah. So he says, hallelujah, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. In the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord. Studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work. And his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And all those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Now, let me just highlight a couple of things out of the text. Um, before we begin to examine some of the ways of God. You'll notice in the first place that he begins, uh, deservedly so, by giving praise to God. Why? Because he has observed God's ways. This isn't just a pious, oh, I'm supposed to praise God, okay, praise God. But he has observed God's ways, both historically, from the traditions that have been passed down to him through the centuries, as well as experientially. He has seen that God is great. He then says, 
Because God's uh, works are so great, I'm going to study them. In fact, everyone who delights in the works of God studies the works of God, uh, the ways of God. And what we have come to understand, not only historically, but experientially, is this. His works are faithful. He is not a fickle God. He is not, you know, this... Uh, capricious, he's going to be this way one day and another way in another day. But there is a consistency to him that you can trust. His precepts, his teachings, they are trustworthy. And next Sunday we're going to spend our time talking about his teachings per se. And we'll, we'll talk about how you glean wisdom from the word. Today we're talking about how you glean wisdom from his ways. And he says... Here's what I'm coming to understand. The more I fear God, the more I'm in awe of God, the more I revere and respect, pay attention to the ways of God, the more His wisdom works in me. Let me just ask, you need a little wisdom today? Anything going on in your circumstances? Anything going on in your world that you're going, I don't have a clue what that's about. How, how am I supposed to make a decision about this? I mean, is this a coin flip? Is this a pro-con list? How do I even wrap my head around this issue with my boss, with my job, with my kid, with my health, with my finances, with whatever's going on in your life? If you need some wisdom, God wants to bring it into your life. And we can do this by observing his ways. Now, let me just highlight a couple of things that the psalmist was certainly aware of, that you're aware of because you've been doing this read through the Bible journey. One of the things that the psalmist, no doubt, had gleaned wisdom from was observing how God's timing is often so different from our timing as humans. And you can go all the way back to the time of Abraham about that. You remember that God... Looked the earth over, decided that he was going to establish a covenant and establish a people through a guy named Abram. Just picked him. Said, you come, follow me. And as he began to disclose himself to Abraham and disclose the plan that he had to happen through Abraham's ancestry uh, and legacy, he kind of wrapped it all up into a promise of... A son. You'll have a son, and that'll, he'll have sons, and he'll have sons, and the next thing you know, it'll be a great nation, so numerable, it'll be like the, the sand upon the shore. And, of course, Abraham believed God. Abraham followed God, left home in Ur of the Chaldees, moved all the way into uh, Haran, and then later into Canaan. And through all those years, never had a son. Another year, no son. Another year, no son. Another year, no son. And so on it went. And now the guy's 100 years old. And his wife is 90. And God shows up uh, through these angelic messengers one day and says, now's the time. This time next year, Sarah will deliver your son. Of course, she's kind of behind the curtain overhearing this. And she begins to laugh. Not funny, ha-ha, but a little uh, (laughs) snarky-like. And, uh, you know, the angel's like, what's she laughing about? And uh, Abraham tries to cover for it. But the the, the point of the story is this. And and we'll talk about the wisdom of husband-wife relationships later. (laughs) 
But the point of the story is this. Um, the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham took a long time. A long time. And it was well beyond the childbirthing years for both of them. And so what's up with that? Well, we don't know exactly, but here's one thing that we can glean from the story, and that's this. When 90-year-old Sarah and 100-year-old Abraham's having a baby, it's pretty clear God's in this. God just did something. And so there was some glory there. There was some intention to God because of the timing that he fulfilled that promise in. So, friends, some of you have some health challenges. And you've been praying and asking God to heal you. That's a good prayer. And God can heal you. We've observed his ways through the scriptures and through the time of our lives and our experiences. We've seen God heal people. And if God's not healing you, boom, like that, and there's some period of time that is going on through all of that, then by studying His ways, wisdom would tell us we've got a timing thing going on here. God's up to something, and timing matters. Uh, as we move through the uh, book of Genesis a little bit, we come to the time of Joseph, son of Jacob, right? Now, what we come to understand in looking at that story is this. God is looking into the future uh, by decades, and he sees that there's going to come a time where his people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, those 12 sons that are going to become the nation of Israel, they're going to be... Uh, in a perilous situation, there's going to be this widespread famine that a lot of people are going to lose their lives. And so he, as he's looking through the telescope down the path of time, he decides that he is going to preserve his people by a son of Jacob, namely Joseph. And Joseph is going to be a deliverer type person. God's had a lot of deliverer type people through the centuries. And he begins to give an inkling of this to Joseph when Joseph is like a 17-year-old kid. Kind of hard to handle a big, grandiose vision when you're that age. In fact, it's kind of hard to handle a big, grandiose vision no matter what your age. And uh, he doesn't handle it too well. He gets on the wrong side of his brothers and they kind of hate him. And on one occasion, they beat him up uh, within an inch of his life. They end up selling him into slavery. Can you imagine the wounding not physically, but emotionally and relationally, even spiritually. You know, I thought God had a plan for my life. What am I doing beaten up and sold to, uh, into slavery? Then he goes on into Egypt. A uh, captain of the guard named Potiphar hires him or buys him and puts him to use within his household. He's falsely and unjustly accused by Potiphar's wife of indiscretions that in, lands him in jail. I thought God's hand was on me. I thought God had a plan for me. I thought God was at work with His will and His purposes through me. What is this? And so we learn a lot about God's purposes through 
watching his ways with Joseph. That sometimes his purposes have what look to us to be great detours. When in fact, it is exactly on track and exactly on time with what God's up to. Now, we don't know exactly why. But here's what we do know. That Egypt was on the rise. And the more time that passed, the greater that nation became. So that by the time of uh, Joseph's rise to power, they are a leading uh, country, a leading nation in the world. And not only are they strategically, uh, uh, God able to strategically use Joseph to spare Egypt from a famine, but to spare Israel from a famine and many in the world from a famine. And all that credit keeps going back to God. Because God is the one that has empowered him and enabled him to interpret dreams that had foretold this great famine. Now, friend, what are the purposes of God in you? And I realize some of you would go, I don't have a clue. That's okay. As long as you're seeking Him with a whole heart. Because as you seek Him with a whole heart, He will begin to disclose His purposes for you and through you. But for those of you that have some awareness of what those purposes are, where are you in that process? Where are you in that storyline? Are there delays? Are there seemingly detours? By looking at the ways of God here, we say perseverance is the name of the game. Keep on keeping on because his purposes will come to pass in his time. And then a third thing. I could talk to you about 20 things, but we're just going to do three. The third thing is uh, at the time of the deliverance of the Hebrews from Egypt. So you know that with the passing of uh, Joseph who died and a few years go by, a new king, a new pharaoh comes to the throne who doesn't have any regard, doesn't have any respect for Joseph and all that Joseph had done for Egypt. In fact, he kind of detests Joseph's people, the Hebrews, and so he enslaves them. And he puts them to work making bricks for all of his grandiose building pro- projects. And the Hebrew people begin to cry out to their God with whom they have a covenant. Right? Back to Genesis 12. God says, I'm going to be committed to you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to care for you. You're going to be a great people to my name. On and on it goes. And now they're in slavery in Egypt. And so they cry out to him. You know the rest of the story. Does God hear their cry? He does. Does God respond and deliver them? He does. Does God do it quickly? No way, Jose. How long? 400 years. 400 years. Now, friend, you have to remember, when you're talking about 400 years... There are many, many, many people, many of the Hebrews, who had been a part of the crying out to God, the calling out to God, Oh God, save us. Oh God, deliver us. Oh God, come to our rescue. Oh God, come against our enemies. And they died without ever having seen 
God's deliverance. And another generation comes along, they cry out, and they die without seeing God's deliverance. Another generation comes. 400 years. Now this is why in the book of Hebrews that we're told about great heroes of, of the faith of times past who were men and women many of whom did not see the promises of God fulfilled in one way or another. In verse 13 of Hebrews 11, it says it this way. They died. Many of these people died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them by faith in their heart and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. So back to the Exodus story, friends, the, the rest of the story is that Egypt continues to develop as a power, continues to develop as a nation. Now they are arguably the greatest nation on the planet in that day. And when God comes through to deliver the Hebrews, here's the storyline for the world. There is a God in heaven who cares enough about this measly group of slaves that he absolutely overthrew the Egyptian empire and set them free through a miraculous parting of the Red Sea. How's that for a storyline? And it was all about God's glory. Of course, it involved his purposes, it involved his timing, all those things are overlapping, but ultimately about his glory. I mean, for decades and for centuries, not just Israel, but all of the nations in the Middle East talked about Jehovah's deliverance of the Hebrews from the Egyptians. In fact, it was such a great story throughout that whole region. Many nations for years would not attack Israel because they believed in the God of the Hebrews who delivered them from Egypt. Those people that crossed the Red Sea got to see the deliverance of God. But many, 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 many of their ancestors and kinsmen did not. They died without seeing those promises accomplished. Do you get the implications of this for yourself as we're talking about watching the ways of God? Listen, I came out here over 20 years ago with a sense that God wanted me to come here to not just plant Meadowbrook Church, but to be a part of His coalescing, His church of various denominations and congregations and so on like that for a significant movement that He would bring in this region. An awakening, if you will, so that many would come to Christ. I came here over 20 years ago to see, to be a part of that and to see that kind of thing happen. And I have been giving my life for 23 years now. Not just to this congregation, but to that kind of movement in our area. And some of you know that we've had some ups and downs about that. We've had a number of things happen across various congregations on the east side in the Redmond area through the years. We're at another time where it's kind of at a high water mark. Some cool stuff's happening. We just had an important gathering of many churches, uh, May 1, right here in our building. And uh, we prayed together with leaders from different congregations. And, and we began to call upon God to do things in this city to His glory. And so 
all that continues to happen. That kind of work, that kind of stirring, that kind of praying, that kind of believing. But you know what? I may never see it happen. I may die before it happens. And if I do, I'm in the company of those in Hebrews 11.13. You believe you have some promises from God? Some, some of His purposes that He's looking to work through you? Hang on to them until you breathe your last. Because that's what wise people of faith do. My friend, what's going on in your life? You're here with a health challenge. You're here with a financial challenge. You're here with a relational challenge. You're here with a busted, broken dream. Broken heart. Confusion with all of the craziness that's stirring around us. The psalmist said, study the ways of God because the fear of God, the reverence, the, the respect, the awe of His ways in that, in that sense will stir wisdom in you. Will stir understanding in you. Will birth grace that can help you to persevere through such times. What's God up to? When he says, I'm going to give you wisdom. I'm going to help you to see what others don't see. And be able to glean from and to appreciate my invisible activity. I'm going to be at work in you in those kinds of ways. What's he up to when he does that? I want to say three quick things to you. And I'm going to give them to you in reverse order of importance. So I'll say to you, one of the things that God is up to is he is stabilizing your life. When God gives you wisdom, He allows you to glean from watching His ways out of the Scripture, from watching His ways out of your personal experience, from watching His ways out of the experience of some others who share their story with you. What One of the things that God is up to is He is stabilizing your life. He's helping you to make sense of the craziness in this world and to be able to persevere. And to that regard, friend, if you are a follower of Christ and you are a child of God because of your faith in Christ, everything in and around your life counts. It all matters. God is at work in every detail. And as you revere and fear and respect and are in awe of Him in that kind of way, He begins to give you eyes that are wise so that you can see these things. You can have some sense of appreciation. Now, when I get into these seasons where it's more difficult than not, and somebody says, so what do you think is going on? What do you think God's doing? Sometimes I'm like, I don't have a clue. That means I don't have a clue about what this particularly makes sense about in this moment. But I do have a clue that God's at work. I just am... Uh, I have tendencies toward hyperbole. I don't have a clue. Actually, I do have a clue. I just don't have the full picture. I've got a few jigsaw pieces. I just don't have the whole picture. And when I say it all counts, friends, 
I'm talking back from your earliest encounters with Him. So I came to faith in Christ when I was 15. By the time that I was 19, I had a sense, a stirring from God that He wanted me in a teaching, preaching kind of ministry. And so I made a commitment of my life to do that then. And in the first church that I served as a youth pastor, um, my senior pastor was in such a difficult life stage. He had a wife with a lot of health issues. He had a lot of health issues. He had some kids that were kind of at risk and, and had a number of issues. Um, all of that played out not only in his capacity to function well, but also in his economics. And so uh, on one occasion he's sharing with me about how tough it is and um, asked me to be sure and pray for him. And so, I'm, you know, I'll pray for you. I'm 19 years old. And I take seriously a commitment when I say, I'm going to pray for you. And so a couple of days go by and I'm praying for him one night in my room. And this was like the first time this had happened to me. As I'm praying for Lewis, it seems like God says, Scott, I want you to give him $50. I'm going to address some of his financial need through you. You give him $50. I'm 19 years old. And this is a long time ago because I'm really old. $50 was a lot of money back then. $50 was way more than I had in any one given time. And so... I'm actually in this little dialogue with God. And, I, and this is like one of the first times for me. And I say to God, God, I think you want me to give Lewis $50. But I don't have $50 to give him. And I didn't. I, I, you know, I probably have five or six bucks in my bank account. And there was this persistent stirring, I want you to give him 50 I want you to give him 50 And I was like, I don't have 50 I don't have 50 I want you to give him 50 I don't have 50 have you ever had that with God? And, and finally, I got a little exasperated. And I said to God, God, if you want me to give him $50, give me $50. And like I said, this is the first time I'm having this kind of engagement with God. And so it was for the first time I'd had that sense of peace that I had exactly gotten on the same page with God. If you want me to give him 50, you give me 50. That's just before I go to bed late at night. Next morning, I go over and um, gather my mail from the mailbox. And there is a letter for me with $50 inside. I'm, I'm 19 years old. I'm like, whoa, 50 bucks. <laughs> and immediately I had that thing spent. And then it was like, oh, yeah, 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 last night. I told God, you give me 50, I'll give him 50. And so that following Sunday, I'd gotten it in cash, typed a little note so that he couldn't read my handwriting and he could do it anonymously, slipped it in an envelope, slipped it under his office door. And it was something very powerful that I, I don't know what $50 meant to him and to his family and to his plight at that time. I mean, he shared a little bit, but I'm 19. I don't know. I don't get all that. But I know what it meant to me. 
in terms of my seeing and experiencing the ways of God. It all counts. Not too uh, long after that, about another year, uh, I began to have a stirring in my heart about Sherry. And we were dating at that time as to whether uh, I was supposed to marry this girl. And so I'm going to talk about this more in a couple of weeks. But as I was praying about that and I was sensing God is calling me to ask this girl to marry me. To be my life partner. I went and sought the counsel of some godly people. Some people that I really respected. Their capacity to be able to discern the will and the ways of God. We'll talk more about that in two weeks about how God shows us wisdom through other wise people. But the short of all that is, I asked the girl to marry me, and she said yes, and we are just about to celebrate our 34th anniversary. But here's what you need to understand. I came to faith. I began to see the ways of God unfold around me. I made a life commitment to ministry and discovered my life partner all before I'm 21. You see the stabilizing effect that that had? For, uh, parents, I, I can't emphasize enough to you about instilling these kinds of things because they're watching your ways. In, as they watch your ways, do they see you watching God's ways? Do they see you uh, imitating and emulating God's ways in your ways so that they are gleaning in their own ways wisdom? But that's just the third reason in, in importance about why God does wise stuff for us and in us. The second reason is to edify other people, to bless other people. You go, you put that ahead of yourself? Absolutely. Go back to Genesis 12 and see the covenant that God makes with His people. It's all about Him being able to use them to bless others. And so God will do wise things uh, in you and through you. He, he will bestow wisdom upon you for the sake of others. And to bless them. And they won't always get it. They, you know, as they are doing some life with you and as you are there to encourage them about this or discourage them about that, don't do that. Don't go there. Uh, as you're just walking with them and, and they are like gleaning wise things from you, they, they won't always get that. But that's why God's got you in their lives. And that's one of the ways that he will do a stirring to draw them to himself. The first and foremost reason, though, that God is good to give us wisdom is to his own glory. Because we get to make much of him. I cannot tell you. I don't hear it so much now because I'm old. But when I was young and wise stuff would happen, older adults would say, oh, you're wise beyond your years. I can't believe you just said it. I can't believe you. And I, I'd just be able to say, I'm not that wise. But, you know, God kind of stirred me about this or about that. And in some of the circles that I'm in right now with non-believers, and they're in uh, various life issues and life challenges, and we talk about some of this stuff, 
And they don't know me like you know me. They don't know me primarily as a minister. They don't know me primarily as, you know, preacher guy and all this kind of stuff. They just know me as a guy uh, that does community service stuff with them. And we'll be talking about some of their life issues. And God will give me favor with them so that I can speak into their life. And there will be something wise that happens. And they're like, oh, my goodness. And I'll talk about it another time. But, you know, just in, in recent days, I'm just getting phone calls and emails from several of these guys who are in uh, uh, some very hard issues wanting to talk to me about what they should do about these issues. And that's a God thing. I get to make much of God through all of that. So, what will you do with what we've been talking about this morning? I mean, I pray that God's wisdom is at work in you in ways that benefit and bless your life. But it's way bigger than that. So would you commit today? Yeah, I got, I got to study His ways. It, it's more than just knowing a few Bible stories. I've got to understand the nuance of those stories. I've got to have the Holy Spirit unpack those stories and make sense of those stories to me in ways that breed wisdom. You're going to be in a bunch of cool stories this week. But they're, they're bigger than stories. They are His ways that He's going to allow you to observe. Will you study the ways of God? And will you ask God to apply wisdom to your heart? The Scriptures say, you have not because you ask not. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And then, will you live wisely, first and foremost, to His glory? I, I pray you get a lot of benefit. I pray other people get benefit from the wisdom He works in you. But mostly and primarily we pray that much would be made of Him, that He would be glorified, and in that, others would be drawn to Him. Let me pray for you about that. So, Lord, I just want to pray for my friend that is in a perplexing place right now. And he, she needs your wisdom. They'll know what the next step should be. Or about to make the wrong step, I pray. That you would bring wisdom, that you would bring discernment, that you would help them to see the way they should walk. And Father, I pray for the person that's just making the commitment right now. I am going to study his ways. God, would you meet that friend in the study and reveal yourself? For the person that has said, I am going to be dependent upon the wisdom of God. I'm going to look for God's wisdom. I'm going to call for God's wisdom. God, would you answer those prayers? 
And would you be at work in them in ways that stabilizes their life, blesses the life of others, and especially glorifies you? We pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.